I am excited to dive in with us this morning. We've been in a series uh, called The Divine Mentor. We're going to dive in just briefly into 1 Corinthians 10 and then into a story in 2 Samuel 6 this morning. But this whole series on The Divine Mentor is based on this idea that God places people around us to mentor us and help us to become the people that He has asked us to be. Now, many times that, that's people like yourselves. Uh, for decades, I've had people just in life with me who have helped me to become all that God's asked me to be. But this series is looking at how characters within the Scriptures, within the Bible, how God can use those characters to speak directly into our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, says, uh, 10 verse 11 says, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. The Bible was written to us and for us to help us to become all that God has asked us to become. So the last couple of weeks, we've spent some time talking about some positive mentor examples. We talked about Abraham, and then we talked about Deborah, and some positive things there. But God can also use negative stories to impact our lives. Right, sometimes we learn as much from the negative examples as we do from positive examples. And so this morning, we're looking at a small character in 2 Samuel 6 that can make a big impact. So let's dive in. This is 2 Samuel 6. And just to give you some context for what's going on here in 2 Samuel, King David is on the throne of Israel. He is the king, and things are good. These are happy days for the nation of Israel. He's united uh, the, the kingdom of Israel in, in ways that it hasn't been united for years. They're seeing victory over enemies. They're, he's gone in and taken over the city of Jerusalem and set up home there. Things are going extraordinarily well. And in the midst of all this, David says, I think it's time to go get the ark. Now, what is the ark? Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the ark was a box that was designed by God and made by Israel, really to be an archive for holy items, for sacred items. It was about the size of this box right here. It's about four foot by two foot by two foot. And then it was overlaid with gold. If you've seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Probably nothing like that. But, uh, but that's about the size. And it was built to, to house sacred items from Israel's history, namely the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets there. And this was a box that was uniquely associated with God's presence and with his power. Now, David's predecessor, Saul, had stuck it in a, in a place, uh, in a guy named Abinadab's house. And where we pick up here in this story in 2 Samuel, is where David has gone to go pick up the ark and bring it back into Jerusalem. So this is 2 Samuel 6, 3-5. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of firwood instruments and lyres and harps, tambourines, sistrums and cymbals. Sistrums are percussion instruments. They have the drums out. I mean, this is a party. You can hear this. This is a, an exciting time for the nation. It's time to go get the ark, which is, again, uniquely associated with God's presence and power, and bring it back into Jerusalem. Yeah! And this is when everything goes wrong. Next verse, when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. So they've got this, this precious 
thing. They put it on a cart. It's being pulled by oxen. The oxen stumble. He reaches out to grab it. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. And God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And he died there next to the ark of God. Sobering story for the morning. Uzzah is a small character, but he can teach us some big things. And we often learn as much from our own failures as we do from the things we do well. Same is true in Scripture. We can learn as much from the things that that don't go well as we can from those that do. So we're going to draw some thoughts out of that. Thought number one. Uzzah might remind us today that God calls some things holy. There's some notes in your in your bulletin, by the way, if you'd like to take notes with us and fill in some blanks, if uh, you're welcome to follow along there. Thought number one, God calls some things holy. And by holy, I don't mean inherently holy. There's no one holy like God. God is inherently holy and set apart, and yet God calls some things to be holy and set apart. And in Uzzah's story, this was the ark. Somewhere where God's presence and his power uniquely dwelled. In the Old Testament, we find that, that God's presence is most closely associated with places, like the ark or the places that it went. But as we move into the New Testament and into the day, God's presence and his power is more uniquely associated with people. It moves from a place to, to a people. And those people are people who have chosen to believe in the story of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. It's weird to think of ourselves and that we're actually called to be holy like God is in some way. But listen to this from 1 Peter 1.15. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Romans 12 talks about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Or even in 2 Corinthians 6, talks there, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit. That in the Old Testament times, we saw that there was a temple where the Holy Spirit dwelled, where God dwelled uniquely. And yet today, our bodies are are referred to as temples of the Spirit. There's been a change that's taken place. And I think Uzzah might remind us that God calls some things to be holy and holy set apart. Now let me put some guardrails on this now, because this is a concept, this idea that we're to be set apart from the world. This is a concept that I think sometimes we can take to extremes. So let me put some relational guardrails on this idea of being set apart. If we are so engrossed with the world and in the ways of the world and the patterns of the world, the way the world operates, that we don't have any friends who are Christians, that we don't have any people who are speaking into our lives and encouraging us and challenging us to become what God's called us to become, it may be time to be set apart a little farther. It may be time to take a step back and to be set apart. From Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Some of us become so engrossed with the world that we we lose track of those Christian relationships. But the opposite can also be true. Right? Some of us can become so heavenly minded that we don't do any earthly good. Right? We become so engrossed in the Christian relationships that we have that we lose the influence that, that God wants us to have in the world around us. In a sense, we become so set apart that we don't actually make a difference with our lives. 
And God has placed us here and called us apart and set us apart for a person for himself, but also for a purpose, for his redemption of the, of the world that's around us, to be voices of good and of healing, to be voices of hope. So as I might remind us this morning, that God calls some things to be holy, and we are what God calls to be holy today. Thought number two, God tells us how to handle holy things. So God calls some things to be holy. God also tells us how to handle holy things. Here's the thing. For Uzzah, God had instructed him what to do with the ark. There was no secret around this. And here's, I'm going to dig back a little bit, but in the book of Exodus, here's the instruction that God gives. He says, cast four gold rings for it. This is the ark. And place them on its four feet. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other side. Make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark in order to carry the ark with them. Not going to go word for word into this, but this is less less, uh, complicated than some of my Lego creations at home. (laughs) This is less complicated than some of that Ikea furniture. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there are specific instructions for us of what to do here. They're specific and they're clear. And he was clearly not following them. They're supposed to carry the ark on, on poles, and yet they designed a cart. Technology. Uh, they, they put this on a cart, and that's, that was the, the beginning of the end there. God had also instructed him of, of the penalty of what would happen if the ark was touched. Numbers four, Aaron and his sons are to finish covering the holy objects, holy objects being the ark being one of them, and all their equipment whenever the camp is to move on. The Kohathites will come and carry them, but they're not to touch the holy objects or they will die. Right? The instructions were clear, the consequences were clear, and yet Uzzah did not take note of them. You know, sometimes I, I think we approach the Bible as sort of a pirate's code, Right? They're more just guidelines, right? Not less rules, more just guidelines. The problem is God gets really specific with some things that he asks us and invites us to do or to not do. Pray, meditate on the Bible, sing, learn, serve. Don't forsake meeting together. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope you found. And I think part of us's instruction to us this morning, if we let this sink in, He might remind us not to get complacent with God's instruction, but to stay intentional. See, beyond beyond ignoring God's explicit command, I think Uzzah allowed what was set apart to become commonplace. If we dig into the into the details here, I'm not going to dig deeply into it, but the indication is that the ark lived in the house of Abinadab for about 20 years. Let's say at least 20 years. It stayed in the house of Benadab with Ohio and Uzzah sitting there with it every day. Little box in the corner of the room. And I wonder if they allowed what was supposed to be set apart to become commonplace. And we do this too. I'll give you an example of this. My dad was in town this last week from Florida. And uh, he noticed a couple of pictures on the wall in my dining room. There were pictures he had given me just uh, within a year, the last year. There were charcoal drawings that my grandmother had drawn uh, back in the 30s when she was in art school, the Sarasota Art School. They were treasured possessions for him. He had handed them to me. They were treasured possessions for me. I put them on the wall. You know what the last time I looked at them was? See, in less than a year, they'd become wallpaper. 
Now, they're still treasured possessions, but, they, but I had not thought about them or taken stock of them for a while. What was special had kind of become commonplace until he pointed them out again. Be careful of getting so caught up in your patterns of life that you forget your purpose that God has called you to. God calls some things to be holy. And he gives us instruction for how to handle holy things. Because where holy lines are are crossed, there are consequences. Third thought. When holy lines are crossed, there are consequences. Um, Uzzah's mishandling the ark, his sin had consequences. Part of it was his death, which is fairly severe in the moment. But it goes even beyond that. Remember what was happening when they went to go get the ark? It's a party. There's music playing. The band's going. The good times in the nation of Israel, all of that stops when this happens. And I didn't put this on the screen, but... The following verses after that is that David feared the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to move the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Now, eventually brought it in, but but at that point, all progress stopped and he stowed it in another person's house. That, by the way, the ark went on to bless that home as it lay there. But everything stopped in that moment. Where holy lines are crossed, there are consequences. And here's the thing. When it says David feared the Lord that day, I think in our world, a lot of times we think of fear, in fear of God in terms of reverence and awe. And it is those things. The problem is, when I see the fear of God in the Bible, it looks a whole lot like fear. I think they were really afraid. that They had an understanding and an appreciation for the power and authority and justice of God that goes so far beyond what we tend to live with here today. The consequences were dramatic in Uzzah's case, but here's the thing, they may not be as severe in the moment for us, but they may be just as real in eternity. And they're just as real because what this really boils down to is just, it's sin. Let me talk about sin for just a moment here. I think most of us come from one of two camps this morning. Some of us have come from, the, from a, a place or a background, a church, a family, where the idea has been nailed into us over and over and over again. We are sinners. We're in need of a Savior. Others of us come from homes where it's a sin to talk about sin. Right? Where, where it's not about right and wrong, we're just different. So what is sin? Sin, quite literally, is missing the mark that God has laid out for us. It's missing the mark of God's intention for our lives. Put it this way, I play, uh, I play Wii Sports with my kids sometimes. Video game, we've got the screen up and going, I've got the Wii controllers out. And at the beginning of this game, I can get like a perfect score. It's awesome. But the farther you go in the game, the farther the target gets away, the more the wind comes in, the target starts moving, and all of a sudden I'm missing. I'm missing the mark. And I think that's the way it is with us. A lot of times, the farther we go in life, the more prone we are to miss the mark and the bigger the consequences often become that we feel. But regardless of where we are in life, the story that the Bible lays out is that all of us have missed the mark. This is from Romans 3. It says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. 
all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, here's the sobering part, really sobering part, if we want to dig a layer deeper here, is that if we take this, this story to heart, right intentions are not an excuse for wrongdoing. Right intentions are not an excuse for wrongdoing. Man, we want to believe that sometimes, don't we? Well, I didn't mean it, God. I I didn't know. And we want that to justify us somehow. And yet, if we take this to heart, it doesn't justify us. I used my wife, Lindsay, as an example last service. She, uh, when I hurt her feelings unintentionally, one of the things we talk about is that when she says it hurt, it hurt. Now, I wish that I could say, come on, I didn't mean to do it. It's all right, right? No. <laughs> I've learned this over time. When she said it hurt, it hurt. And even if I didn't mean to hurt her feelings, when I've done something that, that injures her, there becomes a relational gap between us where something has to be done to, to bring us back together. Right intentions don't justify wrongdoing. And the reality is that God does tell us how to handle our lives and what to do. He tells us what's honorable and not, what's righteous and not, what's loving and not. And where holy lines are crossed, there are consequences. In this case, ignorance is not bliss. And so what do we do today? What do we do today if we're realizing that we crossed the line? I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. I'm going to invite the, our band to come up. But this is a cautionary tale, and it, it, it is good for us to consider what happens if I'm realizing that I've already crossed the line, or what happens if I'm realizing I may have crossed the line, but I'm not even sure if I did. What do we do with that today? What do we do if we're coming to the realization that we have touched something or someone that ought not to have been touched? We've done something that ought not to have been done. We've said something that ought not to have been said. We've become so engrossed in the world that we've not been set apart enough, or we've been set apart so much that we're not actually making a difference in living out the purposes that God has for us. What do we do if today we're realizing that we have crossed some lines and that there are consequences? Where's our hope today? We try to answer that with something this morning and uh, with a picture here. I have a $20 bill. This is a real $20 bill, not a fake $20 bill. And what if I were to ask you today, who would like to have this $20 bill if I was going to give it out? A little incentive for coming for church, right? So many of you would want this. I would hope most of you would want this. That's great. Now, what, what would happen if I were to take this $20 bill and I were to crumple this up? Get into a little ball. And it's no longer a nice new crisp $20 bill. This is a little ball of a $20 bill. Who would still want this? Really? All right. All right. Hang on. We're going to roll this up a little bit more. I, I was, I took a lot of hands out in the lobby here. Um, we're going to, we're going to drop it down on the floor here and step on it a few times. All right. There we go. It looks like we got a number of some crease, got a little couple of cuts here. What? Who would still want this dirty thing? Why? Because it's still valuable. It's still worth what it was the day that it came off the press. And why? Because our government tells us that it was worth. It's worth twenty dollars. 
Here's the deal. Some of you this morning are feeling some consequences from actions or from crossing lines. Some of you are feeling a little beat up from life. Maybe things that have happened to you or maybe things that you've been a part of that have happened. But today it's good for us to remember together you are every bit as valuable to God as the day that He formed you. He loves you regardless of the dirt, regardless of the sin, regardless of the lines crossed. Even though His holiness is remarkable, He is set apart on levels that we never will be. Even though He's invited us to be holy and we haven't always lived up to that, He still loves us and there's still grace that's offered to you today. Let me ask you to take just a moment here just in your own heart and pray for God to, to unearth or reveal any lines that you've crossed today. The Psalms, David says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any unrighteous way within me and lead me in your ways. Take just a moment and ask him to unearth anything that needs to be unearthed in your heart to reveal any lines crossed today. Take just a moment. Spirit, I pray that you would allow us to see things through your eyes today. Convict us where there's things that are not right, where we have crossed lines. But even as you bring that to the surface, I pray that you'd remind us of the grace that you offer. Let me ask you one more question here with this $20 bill. This is, a, uh, this is a question for anyone under the age of 20 in the room. Who really wants this? First come, first serve. Come grab it. Yes, sir. It pays to sit in the front row. God's grace is freely offered to you today, but it's a grace that must be received. It's a grace you have to choose to receive. This morning we're going to share in communion together. And communion is a reminder that the consequences have been paid. That this morning there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ushers, would you please come forward, serve the bread and the cup. Communion is open to everyone this morning who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Even if today is the first day for you to soften your heart before Him. Take the bread as it comes. Take the cup and hold on to those a moment. We'll, we'll share in communion together once... Everyone has been served. One of my favorite verses in the scriptures. The wages of sin is death. What our sin earns us is death, is separation from God. Whether well-intentioned or not. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. While we were still sinners, He died for us. And so there's hope today. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, there's hope.
God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we remember this morning. us this morning that your grace is enough, that all we have, all we need, we can find in you. that Jesus was betrayed with some of his closest friends and followers in the upper room he took bread and giving thanks he broke it and he said this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me a similar way to later that night he took the cup and he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood the new covenant of grace and forgiveness for all who would believe poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. Lord, thank you. And I pray that, it, that as we walk forward that you would give us a, an increasing revelation about uh, the areas of our lives that maybe aren't matching up with the way that you want us to live, where we have crossed the lines and where there are consequences. And I pray that as we understand that, we understand your grace and your mercy even more. That we understand your love for us even more deeply and that we would build our lives on your love. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we just pray that as we walk forward from here, help us to walk forward by faith, with confidence with humility and yet with courage. Pray that in Jesus' name.